In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the podcast Southern Fried Soccer. It is Wednesday, May 29th, and Atlanta United has defeated Minnesota United 3-0 here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was Atlanta United's seventh shutout this season uh, on goals from Franco Escobar, his first of the season, and two from Joseph Martinez, both in stoppage time, as he now has eight goals this season, a team leading eight goals this season. Atlanta United will host Chicago on Saturday in the finale of an eight-game stretch in 28 days. And it is two points behind first place DC United, or three points, I'm sorry, three points behind first place DC United with a game in hand. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And as almost always, I'm joined by Jason Longshore of SoccerDownHere.net and 92.9 FM. Jason, this game... It was a one to nothing game until the 91st minute, but it didn't really feel like a one to nothing game for all, but except for about 10 seconds uh, in the second half when Brad Guzan had to make three saves. Yeah, it was it was an interesting one. I think Atlanta played a really good first half. Um, definitely the little bit of rest they had from Friday to Wednesday helped. They, they looked sharper. Just everything looked crisper in the first half. And the first 10 minutes or so of the second half, that continued. But from there on in the second half, Minnesota really started to grab control. And I was really surprised that Adrian Heath, with the second sub he made, didn't open it up and really go for it. His first two subs were like for like. He changed his forwards. He took off Dunlady, who gave you zero tonight, except for six fouls committed. And he took off Quintero, who had one chip that, that was over the bar but was a little dangerous. So you, you changed your forwards, but you didn't change the way the team played. And it wasn't until the Ethan Finley substitution late that you really went for it. I thought Atlanta was on the ropes a little bit in the second half. Um, the goals in stoppage time, the, the second goal of the night was outstanding from Franco Escobar in his defensive half. little chip over the defender. Gressel gets on the end of it. Gives Joseph an opportunity to go 1v1. Gets a little bit of a fortunate touch off of Alonzo, and he puts it away. The The final goal was just really crazy fluky. Icopara thought he had some help in heading it backwards to an offside Joseph Martinez, which that made him onside. Maybe that's the revenge for the, uh, the planted foot game last year against Kansas City, yeah. where Opara tried to play it, and they said he didn't try to play it. This one, he obviously tried to play it, and Joseph gets the goal. Yeah. Atlanta um, didn't really feel like they were in trouble to me. Um, that one stretch in the second half, Minnesota, I, 
I felt like they were starting to grab control of it. And this was something we talked about on our full-time report on 92.9. They were grabbing control, but they weren't putting Atlanta to the real test outside of that sequence. And, and that was why I thought Adrian Heath would go for it. Because what did you have to lose at that point? Yeah. Um, I want to get into uh, some of the switches that Frank DeBoer made tonight. And I can tell you all the reasons why, but I want to talk to Jason about it. Uh, a couple was... Uh, I, might be, I feel like I'm being set up. No, no, no. He moved... <laughs> uh, Julian Gressel moved from the right into the middle. Right. Pitti Martinez moved from the middle to the right. Mm-hmm. Frank DeBoer said he did that because they thought, based upon what Minnesota was going to do, Pitti might have a little more space on the right, and they liked Julian's work rate in the middle a little bit better uh, than Pitti's, um, which he said is Okay. Uh, I thought it worked wonders tonight. Um, I thought Julian had a fantastic game. He had a little bit of help. Eric Rometty slid further up the field instead of Darlington Nagby. Um, and that worked well, I thought, in kind of terms of keeping possession, cycling possession. It's what Frank call, they call lock-on, mm-hmm. where they can keep the ball in that half and move it around and get shots and just interchange things. I was curious how you thought about the tactical, the formation, the personnel switch within the formation. So two things to it for me. Um, we saw the the Gressel Central and Pitti Martinez on the right when Pitti and Escobar came into the match at, at Salt Lake, and I thought that worked really, really well there. So it makes sense to go back to it again. And, and Escobar on the right helped open things up for Pitti Martinez. Pitti being able to cut into his left foot, I think that's very comfortable for him. Gressel, it was the best he's played centrally. I've always thought that he had that skill set. He could give you more as a 10. And this was not exactly a a solo 10 because he had help from Nagy and Rometty both at different times. But I thought this was his most effective game in quite a while. I thought he was really good. I thought Pitti was really good in in long stretches of it. Um, Going up against Miguel Ibarra, who's not a, a true left back, made that a little bit easier. And you were able to stretch the game a bit. The three in the middle was what was really interesting to me. At, at halftime, I talked about it a little bit with Mike Conti on the call. I noticed that when they were in, when they were defending and they were being forced to sit and defend, it was noticeable to me that Darlington Nagby was the central of those three with Remetti and Gressel, and they would flare to either side. If they had to defend, they would drop on either side of him. And that gave Atlanta the opportunity when they did get forward. Nagby was your first point out of the back. So you were able to play to him and start possession that way. And then Rometty would sit as Nagby pushed the team forward, as he would play it forward and continue to go, Rometty would sit sometimes. Then other times, Nagby would sit and Rometty would go. The interchange with that group was really, really good in the middle of the park. And, you know, you kind of wondered, okay, can Nagby give you the defensive enough on the defensive side. Minnesota didn't really test that. Rometty was good. Gressel was really good. It worked. Is it something that's going to work against every opponent? Maybe not, but it worked tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, when I was writing the player ratings that you could find on AJC.com, to me, it was almost like Nagby only had to focus on defense tonight. He tracked back really well. Start possession. Backs. Uh, yeah, start possession, but not really have to worry about getting forward exactly. and trying to split lines or anything. It was yep. mostly... You just focus on defense. We're, this game, we're going to let Eric and Julian kind of get forward and push things down the field uh, after you, if you get the ball and start play. Um, and I thought it was Nagby's best performance in the past few games. But the guy that 
really, I thought, looked outstanding uh, in that midfield was Dion Pereira on the left. He had a, a team, he created a team high chances of, of five or four, something like that, four. Just beat um, whoever he was up against. Asani Dotson. Uh, Dotson or, or Boxall when he would step out. Just time after time tonight. It's what we didn't see from him against Salt Lake, but that was his first start. Probably a little bit nervous. Uh, tonight he had full of confidence. And it really showed. I think he probably earned another start for Saturday's game against Chicago. If he's if he's fresh and ready to go, absolutely. Um, he was on the full time report with us, and a couple things that that we talked about with him. He talked about how every time he gets the opportunity early in a match to go one v one, he wants it, and hit the staff and the players around him are all like kind of egging him on to keep doing it, keep going, keep going one v one. And I thought his best play of the match was a foul he committed. And it was late in the game before Joseph Martinez had put it away where Minnesota was trying to break out on the right side and they had an opportunity to counter. And Pereira sprinted across the team because he was playing as a second forward after Atlanta turned into a 5-3-2. He sprinted about 30, 40 yards across and committed a hard foul. And uh, I believe he got a card for it. And he should have. But no, he didn't get a card. No, he, didn't. he probably should have. Um, and he probably would have been very happy with it. And Frank DeBoer would have been happy with it because that was what DeBoer wanted in Utah was you don't want to allow them to build up momentum in that counter. And Pereira, I think, took that message to heart and committed a, a really smart foul in that moment. I got killed a little bit last week on Twitter for talking about a difference between Pithy Martinez and Viaba is that Viaba will sprint for almost every ball. And he will work back on defense. He's not the best defensive player, but he will work back on defense. And Pitty isn't consistent about that. That was nice to see from Dion tonight. He was making those kind of efforts. And unlike Tito, who you know goes a million miles an hour for short bursts, you never know if he's quite in control. Dion was always in control tonight yeah. on the ball. Yeah, Dion just moves differently. He's a little smoother with. His, his movements, and yeah, he always looks like he's in control. He has a, a change of pace as well that I really like. He, he's able to, as he, he dribbles in on a defender, he's able to drop the shoulder one way and, and go quick the other direction, and it's a move that is working pretty consistently. Early on, he went for a really bold move, dribbling in on the left side where he tried to cut it back behind him, almost like a Cruyff move. Uh, at the top at the corner of the 18. It didn't come off, but early on in the match, I loved the swagger from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not something you normally see from a teenager in that moment. Yeah, it was, uh, and Frank had a couple of funny quotes about Dion after the game. He went to shake his hand after the game and said Dion kind of gave him a weak handshake. And he's <laughs> like, you got to be a man. You got to give a man's handshake. That's what we need to see all the time is you have to play like a man. He was a man when he clobbered Miguel Ibarra. Um, he was not saying that as a slight to women. He was just using <laughs> yeah. it as a, as a point of emphasis. Um, but anyway, you'll, you can read more about that. I'm going to do something on the retooled midfield uh, tomorrow morning for Atlanta United. And then the other piece of news we've got coming out tomorrow is uh, the team will find out its opponent in the U.S. Open Cup, which this year is going to be live-tweeted, unlike the horrible stream they did last year, well, which was just so goofy. Okay, but here's it the thing. It felt like uh, uh, just a, a Wayne's World parody. No, it was bad. And I, <laughs> I definitely, if you were going to do a stream, I would have liked it. But the problem is, 
there's no transparency in the way this is coming out because no. it, it's a cup draw. I mean, if it's a blind draw, if it's truly a blind draw, you can organize it a little bit better than having the Transformers or the GoBots or the Voltron yeah. machines doing it like you did last year. But you need to show it because now we're just going to get the announcement of it. And, I mean, it's just not a good look from the Federation. So... Atlanta United will be grouped into a group of, of four teams if it's done like it was last year. And you could have, I think, as many as two MLS teams in that group because you're only going to have 11 winners from round three moving on. You're going to have a lot of MLS versus MLS matchups in round four of the tournament. And you would think, if you are looking geography, that uh, the, the purple neighbors from Central Florida would likely be at least in a pod with Atlanta United, and that could be an Open Cup match. If I remember right last year, though, teams have to put in a bid to host right. they do. their game. So if Atlanta United and Orlando have both put in to host and the other teams haven't, then they will not get matched up in the first round. Um, the thing I don't like about this draw is they won't go ahead and say, "Here's if you win this game, here's your two possible opponents for the next round. Um, and because it's, this is being done on short notice, it makes travel a little bit difficult and a little bit more expensive. And it just doesn't make sense. Why not just go ahead and do the bracket? Um, yeah, at least a couple I, rounds out. And yeah. there's no reason why you can't because you could group them in a group of four and, and, and have it set up much easier. I don't like the way they did the Open Cup this time where it's the, the all of the MLS American teams coming in in this round and only 11 from the tournament beforehand getting to this point. You need to have the MLS teams come in earlier and have more matchups with your Florida Soccer Soldiers and, and your Orange County FCs and your Forward Madisons. That would liven up this tournament in a big way. And I did get a little bit of reassuring news because I remember when the Champions League uh, procedure for the CONCACAF Champions League was put out earlier this year, they had said that after the first set of games, which would have been Atlanta United against Herediano, there's going to be another draw for the next round. But then, like a couple of weeks later, suddenly everyone was saying, well, if Atlanta United wins, they're going to play Monterey. Likely will play Monterey. Well, it turns out that CONCACAF reversed itself and went ahead and put out a bracket, uh, even though in their original documents they said that is not what they're going to do. I wish the Open Cup will reverse itself and put out a bracket this time. So it should Atlanta United win its first-round game, which we played on uh, like uh, June 12th? June 12th. Uh, Wednesday. Um, it, if it's not an MLS team they face, it's likely going to be at Kennesaw State, I believe. The first round game, don't hold me to that yet. Wouldn't That's just sense. my my belief. Right. And frankly, even if it's an MLS game, depending upon the opponent, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not a Kennesaw State. Um, but we'll see. Atlanta United has never advanced past its second game right. in the tournament, the fifth round of the tournament. Frank DeBoer says they're going to take it very seriously. Um, he will have to rotate some personnel because you're only allowed five international players. The Atlanta United got some good news regarding that today, and Julian Gressel no longer counts as an international player. Um, so he's not one of the uh, – how many do they have? Five or six? Six right I now. I think Atlanta United has. They have two slots open. 
They have six. That's not including Jose Hernandez and Asadio, yeah. who are on loan to Atlanta United, too. Right. But uh, I'm curious to see who is going to get the starts in that Open Cup. But anyway, that's enough about it's a that. a long way to get there. Yeah. Hey, that tournament's come a long way from uh, Silverbacks selling the uh, game that they should have had yeah. at Seattle. Um, as we watch them get past Georgia Revolution. and Hey, we're not going to host next round. We, right. we can't say why yet. I can remember uh, watching them play Chicago uh, at uh, Silverback Park mm-hmm. and losing on a, it was a late goal. It was a, yeah, a really late goal, a really actually. Late goal. Yeah. Anyway, um, Jason, what do you have upcoming? Uh, we have overreaction Thursday tomorrow on Soccer Down here. It's 9 to 11, and then we will stay on with you as U.S. Soccer announces the Open Cup pairings for the fourth round. Uh, we'll also have some soccer over there as we get ready for a big game that you know, you're know you a little interested in on Saturday <laughs> yeah. with Liverpool and Tottenham in the Champions League final. Um, all kinds of stuff on the Soccer Down here app tomorrow. You can download it in Android and iOS, and you can also listen at SoccerDownHere.net and on Spreaker. I do keep asking Atlanta United if they're going to open the stadium early and put the Champions League game on the Halo board. And I have yet to receive an answer about that. They're um, going to open it early. They're going to open at least at three. They, they talked about that on Twitter today. The, there was a, a well. Tweet. Darren hints at it, but they haven't said for a fact we're doing it. I thought the stadium did. I thought it was open I'll have to, at I'll three. Have, I'll have to go in. There. I don't know about the Halo board part. Um, the other uh, the other thing uh, I meant to mention and I forgot is Jeff Lernowitz was honored uh, for making his four hundredth regular season appearance in MLS before the game. Uh, he's just a true pro's pro, so that was a nice moment for him. Of course, Mexico is going to host Venezuela at Mercedes-Benz Stadium next Wednesday. Will you be at that game? Uh, I will hopefully be at that game, yeah. All right, I'll be covering that game too before Annette and I fly to London the next day. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Uh, you can look for a couple of, or at least one follow for me t- tomorrow on the rebuilt midfield. I'll have a story on the team's U.S. Open Cup draw. And then we'll head back out to the training field on Friday to talk to Frank about Chicago on Saturday. And then uh, the team will get uh, about a month off, I think, before it plays Toronto. Well, with Open Cup, though. Yeah, they, I'm, well, league, league, yeah right off in the league. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Y'all take care. This is Southern Fried Soccer. This is Doug Robertson and Jason Longshore. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,